Um, we're going to talk about something this morning that I, I, is not a, it's not a resolution at all. It's, it's a way to point our lives in 2023. Did you know that today is the eighth day of Christmas? Did you know that? It's the eighth day of Christmas? That that's technically how it works? That Christmas day is day one, like the 12 days of Christmas? Ten points if you can tell me what your true love should bring to you today. Eighth day of Christmas? Eight. Eight maids are milking. Seven swans are swimming. That was yesterday, so we don't care about that anymore. So after the 12, the, those, that, the 12 days of Christmas is actually something that the historic church has celebrated. Uh, and then what happens after the 12 days of Christmas is on January the 6th, which is uh, called Epiphany. Maybe you've heard of this. The Christmas season is over, and a new season is beginning, and it's celebrated with this day called Epiphany in the historic church. The Eastern Church uh, uses this day to celebrate Jesus' baptism, and recognizing that when Jesus was baptized, there was that manifestation of him as the Son of God, the recognition of him as God's Son in that moment. The Western Church, which is us, uh, usually celebrates Epiphany um, as the coming of Christ for the Gentiles, which just means anyone who's not a Jew. In other words, Jesus came for everyone, and they, we use Epiphany as that moment to recognize how incredible it is that Jesus came not just to save the Jews, but to save everyone. And that word epiphany comes from the Greek for appearance or manifestation. And then the story that we wrap around this beautiful day of epiphany, which I know we're a little early for, but this is the Sunday before it. So um, the story is, of course, of the Magi's visit to the Christ child. Now, listen, you guys understand that it looks really good in a movie and really good in your nativity set to have the wise men show up at the manger in Bethlehem, but that was almost almost certainly historically inaccurate. But it's okay if that's what you're, please don't like throw the wise men out of your nativity set. It's okay, it just helps us to remember that that is actually part of the story. But this, when the Magi came to visit, Jesus was a toddler, let's just say it that way, probably somewhere between 18 months and two years. So this is a little bit further in the story. So we celebrate that, we think about that and consider that on the day of Epiphany. And in English, when you have an epiphany, it means that you, 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 uh, you suddenly understand the nature or the meaning of something, right? And that is sort of like the incredible story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, that even though um, they had all the world could offer to them, they saw the star and followed it and suddenly understood that they were in the presence of true beauty and true holiness. Let's read it together, Matthew chapter 2. It's in the version app under more and then events, and you can follow this morning's service with us, or you can turn in your Bibles that you have or your Bible app. It's funny, we've been having <laughs> such a terrible time trying to keep the star on the top of this tree. It keeps falling down. It keeps, like, we would put the letters on, and it would just, like, do this, and it was just driving us crazy. It fell down earlier this week, <laughs> and we were like, we should just leave it off, just forget about it. And then we were like, oh, no, this is sort of a big part of the story today. We need the star. We definitely need the star today. So let's read about it in Matthew chapter 2, the Magi visit the Messiah, starting at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Here's an interesting phrase. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Historians uh, have worked to figure out who these men really were. Legends uh, have turned them over the last several hundred years into three kings from Orient are. You might know this song. We don't really sing it here. Uh, Somewhere along the line, somebody decided that there was three wise men. Probably, of course, because there was three gifts uh, after all. But scripture never says there was only three of them, just that those are the three gifts that were presented to Jesus. And even, I don't know if you know this, I remember being in a, in a play as a kid, like a, a, like a Christmas play of some kind, and the wise men had names. Those three wise men had names because somewhere along the line, legends created names for these three wise men and called them, have you heard this before? Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. This is all, like, nothing biblical about that. That's just, that just came from the story over the last, like, over the hundreds of years we've been telling this story. This is what uh, was happening. These stories happen. However, we, we, we have that Christmas song, Carol, We Three Kings from Orient are, but they weren't really kings, and they probably weren't from Asia, just so you know. Neither of those things were true. They were magi, and you'll hear the NIV calls them magi, and they were all likely, more likely from Babylonia. Still from the east, of course, but just not all the way from where we think of when we think about Asia. From what we can tell, though, the magi were known uh, for many different things in their history. At their best... What magi were supposed to be were men of holiness and wisdom. They were skilled in philosophy and medicine and natural science. They were interpreters of dreams and they were seekers of truth when they were kind of at their best. And of all the characters in the nativity story, I think that we might best identify with these magi or wise men. I know that I do. I know that I do. And it's not because of their holiness and wisdom. <laughs> yes, I very much identify with the wise men in this way. No, it's because here, we here in Canada, um, we have a lifestyle, I think, that most closely resembles theirs. We are among the richest people in the world. Even if you don't feel rich, you know that on a global scale, you are. 
And our access to technology makes us some of the most influential people as well. There are literally people who have Instagram accounts and their whole job is just to influence people with said account. That's their actual skill. Like that's what we can do with the technology in our lives. We are skilled and educated and we don't like, and if we don't know something or we want to learn something, we can learn it in a few minutes with a Google search or a YouTube video. It's just an incredible time to be alive. And I think it makes us relate to our wise men here in the story pretty closely. We, in some ways, we literally have everything, everything at our fingertips. And sometimes that's the hardest place to come to Christ from. Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He said it in Matthew 19. But don't worry, he also then said, because the disciples were like, oh, well then who, like how is this, like, what, like that's, whoa. <laughs> that's my interpretation. That's, you don't want me to interpret the Bible, like do a translation for you. The disciples were like, what is that? But then Jesus says, thankfully, with God, all things are possible. But it is a very difficult thing for someone who has everything to trust Jesus and to surrender their life to him. And in fact, there are two other groups of people in this story that we also might identify pretty closely with for some of those same reasons. There's Herod, the king, and there's the chief priests and teachers of the law. And each group had a chance to respond to the discovery of the Messiah, the savior of the world, the fact that he may have actually come after a long time of waiting. This King Herod had been looking for him. He knew about the prophecies. But it wasn't just him. Herod was looking for anyone who might try and take his throne. There are crazy stories about King Herod uh, and, and how paranoid he was. He knew that he wasn't a pure lineage, that he didn't actually have the right to be the king of the Jews sitting on that throne. And then he was always on the lookout for someone who might unseat his power. And Herod's response to the fact that the Messiah may have been born according to these magi that were visiting was hatred and hostility. Herod was disturbed and all the kingdom with him. Not a lot of explanation in scripture about what that means, but we know later on in chapter 2 that Herod puts out the declaration to kill every young boy two years and under in Bethlehem. His hatred and hostility was used, his power was used to abuse and devastate his subjects. That was his response to the fact that someone might come and take his place. Then, of course, there's the chief priests and teachers of the law who were called onto the scene. And these were the men who were supposed to be eagerly anticipating exactly this moment. They had been teaching about it. They, that, was, that was their whole thing. They had been telling the Jewish people about it for hundreds of years, that the Savior was coming, the Messiah was coming, to look for him. That was their job, was to interpret the scriptures for them. But somehow they came, and when Herod said, where was this, the king of the Jews supposed to be born? They say, Bethlehem. They actually know the answer to the question. They somehow got it completely right from the scriptures. And according to what we see in this story, they just went right back to what they were doing. They didn't follow the wise men. They didn't ask any, any follow-up questions. They just answered the question 
correctly, by the way, from Micah 5.2, and then went back to what they were doing before. Indifferent? I don't know. I found this part of the story very unusual. It's very, always been very curious to me. Did the Magi's visit expose these teachers' lack of faith? They actually didn't really believe the Messiah was coming. Maybe they were worried about losing their position if the Messiah really did come. Maybe they were just so afraid of Herod that that was the only thing that they could think of, and it's, he was a terrifying king. So that makes sense, I guess. But they feared Herod more than they were excited about the fulfillment of the prophecy they'd been teaching about and waiting for for hundreds of years. It's, just, it's very interesting to me their lack of response to the news that the Messiah may have come. But then the wise men, the magi, made the journey. This group of people, I would say, as cliche as it might sound, they did actually prove themselves to be truly wise. They used their means, their, their substantial means, to seek the Messiah. And then when they found him, they weren't too proud to bow and adore a toddler and worship him and give him their remarkable gifts, which you may have heard referred to that gold as a gift for a king and frankincense, a gift for a priest, and myrrh, a gift for someone who is to die. This story about the Magi is unique in Matthew's gospel. It's only recorded here, but it's also not surprising to find it in Matthew's account because Matthew is focused in his gospel on showing that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And he knew that the king of the Jews would also be a light to the Gentiles, everyone who wasn't Jewish, and that, that the Messiah would call all people of the world to a relationship with God. It was, it was prophesied in Scripture over and over and over again, and Matthew knew it. And so here they are, these wise men, these foreigners, these Gentiles, of great esteem, of great responsibility, of great wealth, Shown here taking a step of faith and seeking truth and humbling themselves when they looked Jesus in the eye. It's just, it's just remarkable to me, this story. The different options, the different ways that people responded. And it's a reminder to me every time I come back to this story is that we all have this same choice. We all do. Our comfort, our ability to get by on our own, we're really good at that. We have the world and all of its knowledge at our fingertips, like pretty much literally. And all of those things, all of those factors will either serve to distract us from the truth of who Christ is, what he came to do. Or those things will compel us to realize that those things, everything that we need, every comfort that's possible, it, those things will compel us to realize that it will never be enough. It never was and it never will be enough. Because we realize that even though we have everything, there's still something missing, you know? We realize that we need someone to deal with the issue of our hearts. And no amount of information or wealth or comfort can ever do that. No one... None of that can deal with my failure or my rebellion against my creator or my brokenness or ultimately this broken world. We need something much, much, much more than just all of the comforts that the world can offer us. No amount of scientific discovery is going to be able to do 
what truly needs to be done, and that's to change the hearts of men. And so, as we start this new year, I want to ask you, are you open to an epiphany? To seeing freshly the manifestation of Jesus who came for all of us. And I want to ask you this morning, uh, are you willing, like the Magi, to bow before Jesus and recognize his kingship in the world and in your life? And to realize that every day we have this decision to make, to recognize and respond to this epiphany, or to choose to ignore it or be hostile to it. In a practical sense, for some of us, recognizing this epiphany, who Jesus is and what he came to do, will mean that looking into this new year, starting today, it will mean reordering your life to line up with your belief in him. Not just saying you believe in him, but ordering your life in such a way that it's built to worship him, be surrendered to him, first and foremost. For others, and I hope that if this isn't you yet, that it would be you today, that it would mean trusting Jesus with your life for the first time. That this is the year that true life transformation will begin for you. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've been thinking about what it means to serve Jesus. Maybe you have questions about that. I love that Pastor Aaron is continuing to do Alpha to help with those questions and to say maybe this is the year. It's not about resolutions, which clearly this church doesn't care about anyway. Nobody wants to do resolutions. Beyond, so far beyond just trying to set a goal or do anything else, but this is the year that because of Jesus and your invitation to him to come in and transform you, that like your life will actually be transformed for eternity this year. That's available for you today. So whether you need some reordering in your life or whether you need to make that decision for the first time, are you open again to that epiphany of who Jesus is? I'm so grateful that Jesus came for everyone. Even me. Even you. I don't deserve it. By any stretch of the imagination, I have done nothing to earn the grace and mercy of Jesus. But somehow, this makes me um, a little emotional every time. I, I wrote a song that says this, just this, because I, I just, when you sit and think about it, it's tough. It's tough to wrap your head around how incredible it is. But somehow, I just get to come. Somehow, I just get to come because of what Jesus has done for me. The fact that he came and died and rose again. Just as I am, this was like the classic Billy Graham altar call, beautiful. You know this old hymn, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. You're like, why are you not singing old hymns? That's your whole thing, Tracy. Don't you sing the old hymns? Just as I am, I come. There you go. Two notes, that's all you get. Listen, I've got some personal goals for 2023. One of them is just drink more water. Ruthie, this is for you. She's helping me. Drink so much more water. Be much less dehydrated in 2023. I've got some goals, some personal goals for sure. 
but I don't want any of my goals for 2023 to be more important than living in the light of the epiphany of who Christ is and what he's calling me to in my life. So we're going to take some time now, worship team, you can come, and we're going to gather around this communion table. And I want to take some time as we prepare to receive these emblems together. I want to invite the Holy Spirit, as we always do in different ways. This is such a great check-in, to check and challenge our hearts around this table. We gather around this table and we say, Lord Jesus... Am I living in light of what I am celebrating and commemorating and remembering here? Are there things in my life, oh, it's tough to pray this honestly. It's so tough to pray it honestly. But um, Lord Jesus, are there things in my life that you would want me to reorder or repurpose or let go of or pick up so that my life reflects the incredible manifestation, appearing epiphany of who you are. That my life would literally reflect the epiphany of Jesus to the people around me. Are there things in my life, Holy Spirit, you want to point out? I want to quiet my heart and listen for that. Maybe it's time for you to make a decision. You need to stop waffling back and forth between I think I want to live for Jesus I don't I don't know There's a, it's a lot it's a lot to surrender to can I just speak some life into you today going back and forth and being indecisive I don't know why this is not in my notes I don't know why I'm saying this so I think this just might be for somebody or for you off campus today wherever you're at the going back and forth is not bringing you life it's just, it's just holding you in a place where you can neither uh, be f- fully joyful or, f- or free in any, in any way that you are. And if you choose to live a life that's outside of Christ, I got to tell you, you're not going to find life there either. You'll find yourself there. You'll be able to s- speak and do the things that you feel like you want to do. But I promise you that at the end of the day, there's not, you're not going to find life and freedom that you think you're going to find. It's going to get old. It's going to get shallow. I promise you. But just deciding all in, I am going to live and serve, live for and serve Jesus. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to believe what it says in the scriptures that uh, he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And, and, and I don't have to earn that. I, I can just receive it. And I, 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 I want to just, I want to stop going, trying to have one foot in each. I'm going to just step in and say all of my life, with all of my faith, I'm going to say yes to Jesus and, and just let him be the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, check our hearts. If that's where we've been, we invite you to do it. We invite you to do it. Scriptures call us as they they teach us about how to do this together, this communion service together. It says that we need to examine ourselves so that we wouldn't come under judgment, but we allow ourselves to be examined by the Holy Spirit. And and by doing that, we are disciplined by him, like like a loving father disciplines a child and says, I need to correct the path here. And we invite that work so that we're not judged with the world, but that we are corrected 
lovingly by our Father. So let's just take a quiet moment here and invite the Holy Spirit to correct, to change, to, to shift priorities, to speak and to do the thing and say the thing he wants to say to each one of us individually. Let's pause and do that together. we admit that it is uncomfortable to be vulnerable and to be open to allow your spirit to point out things in us that need to change that we maybe are struggling and don't want to we want to do it our way but we ask Lord for the the strength by your spirit to be able to lay down those things that don't please you, to lay down those things that we think we are in control of or we think we want in our lives, but you're saying this is, this is not what's best for you. And so we, we allow you to examine our hearts in every way. We give you control of those things. We ask forgiveness for the ways that we have rebelled against you, the sinfulness in our lives. And we just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us our sins as we confess them. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as you do, we, uh, we gratefully receive grace and mercy again today. And we celebrate it and remember your death until you come again around this table together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work in us. Oh, Lord Jesus, in this church, let it be deep. Let it be real. We don't want to put on any airs or any pretenses. We don't want to pretend. We just want to lay our hearts bare in front of you and let it be real and authentic relationship that we are searching after that we are running after, your presence that we are running to. Take us deeper, Lord Jesus. Even this morning now as we gather around these emblems.